relationships, love, grace, respect. Today we're going to look at peace, and I thought we would start off with um, a little Adam Sandler kind of movie. Some of you might recognize this. Anyone here that can tell me why most alligators are abnormally aggressive? I know the answer to this question. Raise your hand. Anybody? Anyone? Yes, sir, you, sir. Mama says that alligators are ornery because they got all them teeth but no toothbrush. (laughs) (laughs) Mama said alligators are ornery because they got all them teeth and no toothbrush. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Anybody else? Yes, sir, you, sir. Alligators are aggressive because of an enlarged medulla oblongata. It's the sector of the brain which controls aggressive behavior. That is correct. The medulla oblongata. Mama the medulla oblongata is where anger, jealousy, and aggression come from. Now, is there anybody here who can tell me where happiness comes from? No. Anyone? All right. Let's hear what Mama has to say on the subject. Mama say that happiness is from magic rays of sunshine that come down when you're feeling blue. (laughs) Well, folks, Mama's wrong again. (laughs) No, Colonel Sanders, you're wrong. Mama's right. (laughs) All right. Mama's right. Mama's right. Something wrong with his medulla oblongata. Well, well, well. Do you have an enlarged medulla oblongata? What do you think? (laughs) Have you ever been in that place where you're just frustrated and angry and upset with the person that you want to tackle them? And sometimes you're too wise or too, what can I say, dignified to tackle them. So what you do is you just ignore them. Fight or flight. Is not that what normally happens when there is conflict in a relationship? Fight or flight. Biblically, neither one is right. So we're going to look at the whole subject of peace today as it relates to our relationships one with another. And you can be guaranteed of this. You are a human being. And as a human being, human beings will be in conflict one with another. It is inevitable. You can choose to go live on some deserted island somewhere, but you'll probably end up in conflict with the animals on that island. Because there is just something in us that wants to get at having our own way or not necessarily being able to get along. So we're going to take a biblical look at a couple lists today. Actually, it's three things and then ten things. Don't worry about the ten things. We'll go through those quickly as we move towards the close. But the three things are going to be the most critical I want to give reference to three scriptures, though, up front. The first is this in Proverbs 23. It says, 
It is to a man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. It is to a man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. I trust that we don't find ourselves in the quarreling kind of category this morning, but that we find ourselves in the category of being able to honor one another and to avoid strife. Romans 12:18 says this, So far as it is up to you, be at peace with all men. That's not really a suggestion. It's a command. As far as it is up to you, and that means that sometimes there won't be peace, but it won't be because of you. As far as it is up to you, seek to be at peace with all people. And then 2 Corinthians 1:12 says this, for our proud confidence is this, that in holiness and godly sincerity, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. So that was the apostle Paul talking about uh, his interactions with the people in Corinth. And it was his proud confidence, and it's rightful to be proud and being able to have uh, sincerity and holiness and respect and godliness, especially in the relationships we have and how we conduct ourselves with one another. So it's not optional. None of us care to be in conflict with one another in this world. But it happens, and we are called to take initiative in that. Now, what I'm going to talk about today is a little bit of deep soul work. You may right now have a relationship in your life that you're in conflict with, maybe one you're fighting, maybe one you're flighting from. And um, so you can readily identify with what we're going to be looking at. Maybe it's just a burr underneath your saddle and you're frustrated and tired with that person and, and you really could take them out or you're just wanting the worst to happen to them or you're just trying to ignore them. So you, you're reticent with this relationship. But maybe it's something that if you dig a little bit deeper, it's still there from years past, and it's never been resolved. There is a conflict. There is a lack of peace. There is a, a lack of, of harmony in a relationship that you know if you were to pause and do some deeper soul work needs to have some attention. Time does not heal. It just doesn't. Now, time enables you sometimes to forget or to ignore or to move past. But time by itself does not heal. And so there are some wounds, maybe family wounds, maybe relationships with some friends, that God's going to speak to you about even here this morning that you could take initiative on to bring about glory to God. See, one of the reasons I think that uh, the Apostle Paul had proud confidence in the way that they conducted themselves with the world is because how we conduct ourselves with one another and how our relationships are with one another going way back ultimately is for God's glory. He is glorified by how we as human beings interact with one another. So also he is defamed when we do not relate well with one another. You want to blow up a church really quick? You bring division and divisiveness into it. And Satan works at it 
hard all the time. In fact, that's why a discussion such as this is so critical for us as a church family because if we do not take initiative, if we do not work hard at peace and reconciliation and conflict uh, resolving, then you can be guaranteed a church body, a church family will fragment. Oh, and it may not be embittered towards one another, but there, there won't be a harmony and a beauty because in the beauty of our relationships and how we interact with one another, especially if we're followers of Jesus Christ, brings ultimately glory to God and speaks powerfully to a lost world. Our rooted group yesterday had the opportunity to feed some of the homeless down on the 15 by Starbucks. And so we set up a tent. We gathered there. We had the kids with us interacting. And the police had sort of cleared people out the night before, I guess. I don't know, man. We were doing something illegal for all. I didn't know. And um, so they they sort of came one by one, and, and they sort of hang out there. A lot of them really really good people we interacted with and, and, you know, some sleeping out of their cars, just down their luck, some other kinds of people, you know, had some addictive kind of things that they'd fallen into. But uh, we provided a hot home-cooked meal for them. And uh, one individual, I remember, walked up to our tent and just looked around and just said, wow, it's a whole group of you. How cool, how neat, how you interact. And I thought to myself in that moment, they have sort of a community of connectedness one to another, Homeless people do. But the deeper longings of the human individual to find themselves in a beautiful community of encouragement and love and wholesomeness, even when conflict happens, that there's resolve. This whole concept of a beautiful community of human beings, loving and relating, championing one another, encouraging one another, forgiving one another, taking initiatives with one another to serve God, that, that entity of a beautiful community of loving people, is glorifying to God and is a powerful witness in our world. Because Satan will isolate people, bring them into conflict with one another, want to move them towards not beautiful community, but move them to divisive division and lostness. And so we're in a spiritual warfare here with this. But the beauty of community does not come about and is not sustained if we don't do deeper soul work on this very subject of finding peace in the midst of conflict. So, do you have a game plan for when there's conflict, when someone harms you, when someone sins against you? Do you have a game plan? Well, Carrie, yeah, I try to hope for the best. I try to say a few things, but... Sometimes it just doesn't get resolved, and and I appreciate that and understand that. But if you don't have a game plan to take action towards division in your life, you will find yourself becoming, I think, over the years more and more isolated because it inevitably will happen. So we're going to look at three steps that Scripture teaches us that we need to take related to conflict. And the conflict in particular of these first three steps that we're going to reference to is not just conflict of somebody rubs you the wrong way, there's different kind of personalities, but it's specifically when somebody sins against you. When somebody takes an initiative and an action that ends up bringing about brokenness at a very deep level. And so I want us to look first at Matthew 18, verse 15. It says this, if another believer sins against you, ah, so 
What's your game plan? All right? So here the words of Christ spoken. If another believer sins against you, this is what you're to do. Step one, go privately and point out the fault. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Okay, that sort of sounds nice. Let's stop right there with uh, that part. If you've got something against somebody, you think they've done you wrong, Scripture teaches you the first thing you do is go tell your friends how bad that person is. <laughs> oh. All right. So we're going to go privately. We're not going to go public. That's hard, isn't it? And why do we want to go public? Even if it's which is... A few close friends. We want to go public because we want affirmation that we're in the right. I don't think you're all that mean of people that you want to demean and destroy somebody. Sometimes it's that way. You're so mad at what they did, you want to do them harm. But we go to try to get some affirmation. Okay. And we ignore a straightforward biblical instruction. If someone sins against you, go privately. Don't do the end run. How many times has somebody come to me? Pastor Kerry, do you know what so-and-so did? No, what? (laughs) No. I just want to say, excuse me, pause before. Have you gone to that person first? Well, no. Why not? I can't. That'd be too hard, right? I mean, that's just human nature. I'm sorry, you can't talk to me. Can't talk to me kind of idea. You need to go to that person first. You can't do an end run. And people do end runs all the time. Have you done an end run before? I've done end runs before. Not going straight to the problem, straight up, you know, uh, through the middle of the line. We want to go out and around and try to skirt out by the sidelines. No, no end runs here. You go straight privately to the person and you point out their fault. Oh, how terrible you are. I can't believe. No, you go to point out their fault. Why? He says, if the other person listens and confesses, you have won that person back. You are going not to make them feel bad, not to make them know that they're a dirty scoundrel and they sinned against you and they've ruined your life. You are going to win the relationship back. And again, this instruction is in the confines of a Christian community. It's a brother. If a believer sins against you, you and I have an obligation to go to them and talk and discuss this matter over in private so that we can win them back so that there's a wholeness. It doesn't mean convince them of your side of the argument even. All right. Now, there is the truth issue and the offense issue, and you want that to come out and want them to come and to see things that you see. I understand that. But your goal in conflict resolution is to win the relationship back and ultimately, as we talked about, bring glory to God and present this beautiful harmony of community to a lost world that says, I want a piece of that action. So what's your motivation? When someone sins against you, 
I'm not discrediting the hurt and the pain and the harm. Friends, I've been there and I've stewed and I've brewed and I've felt awkward. But my motivation for seeking peace with my brothers and sisters has to ultimately not be grounded in what I want just to heal in my own life. It has to be for the sake and the glory of God. And we as Christians in particular need to own this. When we do not resolve the conflict in our families and with other believers, I believe, or seek to at least resolve it, I believe we are doing damage to God's kingdom. But if we do, I think we uphold the beauty of God's kingdom. And it draws people to him. So step one is you go privately, you point out the fault. If the other person listens and confesses it, hey, you won that person back. And that's our ultimate goal is the reconciliation of the relationship, which brings glory to God and brings a witness to the world. But have you ever gone to somebody and then the door sort of slammed in your face? Or it gets agitating right away? Well, there's a pretty strong chance that step one is not going to work. Step two. Scripture goes on in Matthew 18 to say, But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Now, now this isn't going out and getting your buddies to come along with you to gang up on a person. It's actually very awkward when there's a lot of people involved in the group thing. But you're going to get a couple friends to come alongside to be witnesses. Not witnesses to the sin and the offense, but witnesses to the process. Witnesses to the process and ultimately that they might be able to be a mediator. See, you've got to know this. When you go into one of these kinds of um, uh, encounters... You've got to go in with open heart yourself because where you think you might have sinned or offended somebody, you may have misperceived something yourself. And so your friends are there to sort of point it out and say, okay, I hear what this other person's saying. I hear what you're saying. But could it be, Carrie, that you're not, you're not understanding something from their heart and that action was not a sin towards you or you, you sort of fabricated this whole thing in your mind, but it's really not true of where their heart's at and why that action did or didn't happen. Carrie, you need to listen to this other person. So my friends that I'm bringing along are friends to the process and they're friends that are going to be speaking into my life as well as maybe speaking into the other person's life. We're not ganging up. This is actually kicks back to a whole Old Testament direction that was given to Israelites early on. And so Jesus recapturing it says, you know, hey, step one, you go privately to reconcile and win the person over. But if that doesn't go right, then grab a couple others, one or two that can go with you as witnesses to be a part of this process. So what happens when you go sometimes and try to resolve the relationship? It doesn't go well. Do you sort of stew off and go, well, I tried. I tried. That's their problem now, not my problem. No, it's still your problem. It's still the command for you to take action. In fact, this whole thing, one of the, one of the most disturbing things about this passage to me, I'm not the offender here. 
I am the one who's offended. But the instruction is given to the offended to take the initiative. And I'm like, well, no, I'm going to wait till they come to me. This is a hard one for me. Because sometimes I understand there's a, a timing element and other things that work out. And I weigh that with God. Oh, now or maybe I weigh a little bit. There is a need for us to man up and woman up and say, I will take it on myself to reconcile this relationship. We had a great testimony last week of Dane and Janelle and the brokenness of their marriage. And the initiative that was taken, I believe by Dane to say, we got to deal with this. Something is not right. And Janelle then to take the initiative to say, you're right. And God's worked beautifully in the healing of a broken marriage. You are it. You're the chosen one in the conflict if you are the offended. And that's just hard. That's just hard. And I believe sometimes one of the ways of this is not because the other person is stubborn, but because they are blinded to how they've offended you. Just like, guess what? Some of you in here are blinded to how you've offended other people. You're just happy-go-lucky in the relationship, and they're walking down the street, and they're like, I'm going to go on the other side. The deal with them? What happened to them? Why? We all have blind spots. So if you are the offended one, you take the initiative. I've been dumbfounded many a times in my life. I, I never knew. I never knew. Friends, when you're the pastor of a local church community, this happens a lot because the pastors were not perfect by any means. And I'll do things. Sometimes it's not that I do things. I just forget to do some things that I should probably do as a pastor. And I bring offense, and I'm not even mindful of it. And so somebody comes to me and says, you really weren't there for this situation, or I, I thought about this, or you said, I'm like, oh, let's sit down and talk about this. I believe that's the reason that the offender is given, the offended is given the instruction, because there's blindness that happens, all right? Do not assume that the person you're in conflict with is aware that you are in conflict. And you may be adding all kinds of scenarios on top of something that you're misreading things and they're like clueless. So you take the initiative privately. Then step two, you take the initiative by taking others with you to hear one another out. And maybe, maybe in that effort, you discover you have misunderstood. That there really isn't a sin that happened. But maybe just a misunderstanding. If so, great. Now, step two. You may still be ushered to the door nicely or not so nicely. So step three. If that person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. What's that mean? It means you're going to walk in here on a Sunday morning, you're going to grab them by the arm, bring them up here in front and stand. Say, this person has sinned against me. No. No. This is a private offense. And private offenses are not to be public domain. Now, if somebody sins publicly and affects a whole body of people, there might be some difference in that. But um, 
this offense towards you, private offense, dealt with privately, how does it relate to take your case to the church? It means take your case to those who represent and lead the church. One of the most critical responsibilities of our elders who are on the governing board is for conflict resolution, for peace. They are to have wisdom. They are to have scripture, knowledge, and they are to come and be able to handle and interact if there's conflict that needs to be resolved. Now, a lot of times we never get to step three and people head out the door. And I'm saying, what? They just disappeared. Why? It's just too awkward to be around there. There's somebody sitting over there on the other side that I just don't like to see. What do you think happens with the heart of Jesus who dwells in his body when that kind of action is taken by us? He is grieved. He is grieved because it's part of his body. How do you cut things off the body? We'll just chop this whole body up and just all fragment and split. That is not in the heart and the bosom of Jesus. In the heart and the bosom of Jesus is that you reconcile, you bring harmony. God may lead and transition people to other places. I understand that. And local churches are, you know, they are part of the great big one church in Jesus Christ. I understand that. But local churches, man, we're family. And there's love and devotion that's supposed to be a part of the vibe of who we are. Satan doesn't like it, so he comes in and he rips it. There's conflict that happens in a corner we don't know about, an awkwardness that happens there. Some people, you know, maybe they're described as as a personality. But underneath, if you're not loving and accepting and caring for a person in their own uniqueness, then that's sin. That's not a personality difference. And so we need to protect the sanctity and the harmony of the body. And step three is just take it to the church, not to, to put it up on, you know, the screens to say, oh, look at this or not. No, it's to bring in godly counsel to protect the wholeness of that relationship, one with the other, and ultimately in the body of Christ. Again, the front part of Matthew eighteen fifteen says, if another believer sins against you. Can I just be honest with you? I think we stink at this. And I'm not saying this church. I'm saying every church I've been a part of, we do not do well with this. And I've actually been part of coalitions sometimes that have chosen to do their little exit. Now, maybe it's preference. Maybe it's God leading. Maybe it's like sending Mikey out on a mission to a new church. That's all part of it. God bless him. But many times it's not. And so we just need to soberly say, God, How am I to live faithfully in my local church family as it deals with conflict? All right? I don't have a bone to pick here on anything. I just know human nature. I know local churches. I know my own heart. And it's easy to fight, and it's easy to take flight. Don't do it. Sometimes I wish I had a big placard on me that said, I'm accessible put a placard on all the uh, elders of the church or put a placard on the small group leaders, the life group leaders. Let's, you know, let's, if it doesn't work out in private, step one. If it doesn't work out with a friend or two, step two, then let's, let's get some other, not heavy weights in here. Let's just seek to bring God in at a stronger place and level. 
So just make a commitment in your heart to commit to this Matthew 18 process. Now, I want you to know that I was in a conflict once at a church, and it was a tough one. I couldn't fight, quite figure it out. I had people exiting here, people exiting there. Me and some of the staff people were spinning our heads going, what's on with this and that? And we would bring up Matthew 18. And I remember I was a meeting once, and I, I, I was probably with some of the spiritual leaders trying to resolve this with a particular couple and and they accused us of taking Matthew 18 and using it as a bat to beat people over the heads with. And I'm like, excuse me, I understand how sometimes a scripture can be used inappropriately, but I'm not trying to do that, I don't think. I'm trying to call us to biblical obedience, and it's not right for you to undermine the church and what you've done in this situation. That is wrong. We're not trying to ignore the situation that maybe we've created, maybe we have sinned, but we're trying to reconcile this. Do not, at least one thing don't accuse me of, of taking Matthew 18 and using it like a bat. Now here's the heavy part of this. You may go to step three, and step three doesn't work out. Scripture says, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Basically what Jesus is saying there is referencing them that there is a need at that point for that person. Whether you call it dismissing them or releasing them, blessing them. Sometimes there are blessed subtractions. But it has to be dealt with. Church discipline is not dealt with a lot in part because people say, well, what's the big deal? Forget it. I'm out of here. But isn't that sad? It reflects on our community and the preciousness of who we are as a family. And sometimes, sometimes you do have to bring a spirit of discipline to say, when this is healed and reconciled, then you're welcome to be a part of the body. Now, I have to say that part because Jesus said that part. But that's a hard part for me to say because I'm a perennial optimist. I think every situation can be solved. But everybody has their own will. And you may have tried umpteenth time to reconcile and heal a broken relationship in your life, one of those deep soul things that go years back. But you need to understand this. You cannot change the other person. God can, but they have to be submissive and their will cannot be violated, and God will not violate it. But as far as it depends on you, Scripture says, live in harmony with one another. Have you taken the initiative? Have you taken the action and the wholeness in that? And when it comes to this place, and maybe there's acknowledgement of the sin and, and all situations, oh, I didn't know that, right? You're right. I'm glad that we're talking about this. In that moment, and it may not be a church-related thing. It may be in a family. It may be in a marriage. It may be in a work relationship. If the sin is brought to agreement and understood and owned by each person, then please do not give an apology. What are you talking about? I see this happening time and again. The issue comes to the forefront. There's some mutual agreement on it, and it's brushed off and simply said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you misunderstood me on that. No. No, no. 
That's an apology. When we bump into somebody at the mall, we say, excuse me, I'm sorry. When you sin against somebody, you need to have biblical repentance and forgiveness that happens. And there is this moment in time that comes then in that relationship when, when it's come to head, there's an understanding, mutual agreement, and basically you look the person in the eye and you articulate out loud. You say, yes, I am guilty of blank. You fill in the blank. Will you forgive me? And in that moment, the offended person needs if they are able by God's grace and if they take an initiative, I'm assuming that they are, to look the other person back in the eye and say, yes, I forgive you for. You see this mushy, apologetic, sorry, I bumped up against you. It, it, that doesn't do anything to heal brokenness. What heals brokenness is what Jesus did at the cross when he died for us for the forgiveness of our sins and opened up a means by which we can be reconciled to him through the forgiveness and the grace that he he sheds abroad in our life when he comes to dwell within us. And so that Christ within us needs to relate in this situation and bring the salvation, bring the reconciliation of that individual relationship. And so one person to another, yes, I am guilty of Will you please forgive me? Say it out loud. I want you to say it out loud right now. Repeat after me. Yes, I am guilty. Will you forgive me? Again, yes, I am guilty. Will you forgive me? And then if you're the offended person and they've said that, you say back to them, I forgive you. Say it with me. I forgive you. And when you say, I forgive you, then you're, you're no longer dealing with the offense. It's like we talked about last week with the whole area of grace. You are forgiving someone of the debt that they owe you, which means I'm not going to keep bringing this up again to you. And I'm not going to dwell on it in my mind anymore. And I'm not going to choose to gossip to other people about you. It will be hard and I will have to forgive you 70 times 7, maybe 70 times 7 every day for the same offense. But I'm going to choose to forgive you. So from this moment forward, I am walking in a forgiving, gracious, peace-filled spirit towards you. Friends, our world needs forgiveness. Our world needs healing. Our world needs peace. And it does not happen if there is not action. Action dispositionally and action verbally. But I tell you what, in that embrace, and maybe it's a spouse to a spouse here that you need to have some time this week, there is beauty that comes about. My list of ten things. I'll post for you online. A 10-step process by which you have a conflict resolution meeting. But the heart of what today I needed to unburden my soul with has to do with a need for God's people to seek out and receive genuine forgiveness one with another and for broken relationships to be healed through the abundant grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you pray with me?
Lord, here this morning, I know not what the relationships are that are broken. One with another, believer to believer, husband to wife, friend to friend. Whether they're recent or whether they're relationships that have a long history to them. But I pray, God, that you would give the strength to the individual here today that needs to seek out reconciliation with someone. Lord, may they follow the principles that you lay down in Matthew 18. But Lord, may they go into it not in a mechanical manner, but may they go into it with a heart filled with faith, a life that is prayed up, a soul that is well examined, and Lord, an anticipation of a powerful move on your part to bring healing where we think no healing can come about. Lord, may you pick the time, may you lead the person to the place, and even some of these other steps that that, uh, we were to touch on today, may there be an appropriate way to walk this out, whether it's in deep conflict with sin or maybe just a rough ride that a married couple's currently in. Lord, we pray that there would be beauty brought out of ashes and that you would ultimately be glorified and that you ultimately would be honored amongst all people and draw people into your community because we function not as the world, but we function as Christ followers. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.